Well, <clears throat> you know uh, what preppers are, right? Preppers are um, people who go to extreme lengths to prepare for coming disasters. In fact, there's actually a really interesting TV show called Doomsday Preppers that features all kinds of people doing all kinds of things to prepare for all kinds of calamities. Uh, global warming, artificial intelligence, pandemics, asteroids. There is also a subgroup of these people known as the Bible preppers. And these Christians believe that according to scripture, the end of the world uh, will feature devastation the likes of which we have never seen. And they are busy, bitty, busy, they're bitty getting ready for it. Some are learning defense techniques and gathering weapons to defend their families. Some are storing food and shelters in preparation for life under the Antichrist. Others are collecting Bibles to give to people who will know, need to know where to turn when the skies turn to blood. These are the preppers. Now, it's easy, you know, to laugh at these people or chuckle. Uh, the documentarians do a good job making them look kind of silly. Uh, but let's set aside our snobbery for a moment and give them the benefit of the doubt. Are the Bible preppers onto something? Will they be more or less prepared for an event many of us believe will happen, the return of Jesus to earth? And, and for, what it's, for that matter, when it does happen, how should we be prepared? Guns? Turkey cookers? Bibles? Or some other way? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning, how to be prepared for the catastrophe to come. I want to talk to you about it because Paul does. We're studying Paul's letters to the Thessalonians and the New Testament here at Rooftop, and our series is called More and More. So the church in Thessalonica uh, was one of the first that Paul started, and he had to leave this church quite suddenly, uh, but he never lost touch with them. He wrote them long letters of encouragement and prayer. He, he shares with them uh, his prayer that the Lord might do more and more in their little congregation. And he also talks to them about different topics, uh, relevant topics they need to understand as, as Christians in the world, including sexual purity, hard work. Last week, we talked about what happens when you die. And, and this morning, I want to look at the next passage in the letter. He's already kind of introduced it. It's a passage about how to get prepped for the inevitable and glorious return of Jesus to earth. Let me share it with you. It comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. Is labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, 
but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as you, in fact, are doing. Now, here in this passage, uh, Paul refers to an event of great anticipation in the minds of his Jewish readers, Yom Yahweh, or the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord was something the Hebrew prophets looked forward to in their scriptures as the day, the day on which God would finally come down after centuries, even millennia of waiting, God would arrive in a great and dramatic demonstration of divine power to judge their oppressors, to rescue his people from their enemies, and set the earth aright through fire. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Amos, Zechariah, most of the prophets anticipated Yom Yahweh. Paul did too. Any, any good Jew looked forward to this day. It was such a commonly shared hope and expectation, in fact, that Paul, Paul admits to not even needing to say that much about it. Now, brothers and sisters, he writes, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So they knew it was coming, even if they didn't know when. And here Paul is revealing just how familiar he is with the teaching of Jesus. This image of a thief in the night was one that Jesus introduced. Jesus himself believed in Yom Yahweh. Jesus understood that he himself would be at the center of it. But he also understood that his final, his final arrival to earth would happen when people are not expecting it. Just like a thief tries to catch the owners of a house unaware. You can prepare for a thief in the night, but you don't know when they're going to come. In fact, this is kind of the thief's goal to catch you unaware. So it will be with the day of the Lord. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Paul actually quotes the prophet Jeremiah here who warned the lazy fat cats of Jerusalem that there was nothing to fear from their enemies. That's what they thought. Peace and safety, they said, while the nation of Babylon was amassing forces and getting ready to invade. So we're all going to be on vacation, enjoying peace and safety, drinking margaritas. When the day of the Lord finally arrives, we're not going to be expecting it. Like labor pains. And here Paul changes metaphors. Just like contractions can come on quite suddenly, so will the Lord. Now, I've never never been pregnant. But I'm married to someone who has, and I can tell you she was uh, not pregnant unsurprised when her uterus started contracting. Uh, I mean, Michelle had a, a you know, rough idea of when things might start moving. She even had like an X on the date, like due date right there. But that's not something anybody can pin down. In fact, don't hold me to this, but I've actually heard that uh, what exactly triggers contractions in a pregnant woman's body is still a mystery to doctors and scientists. We still don't really know how the body decides that it's time. This is why we have the most ridiculous recommendations for pregnant women who are eager to be done, right? What do we tell them? You know, jump off a curb. We ever heard that. Eat spicy food, right? Give a massage. You know, there's just, we're guessing. Although I will tell you, I will tell you, Michelle went into labor within hours after she requested that I give her a foot massage. Um, 
in which I was specifically instructed to rub her big toe. <laughs> Within hours, we were at the hospital after I had rubbed my wife's big toe. I have not touched her big toe since. <laughs> Even though I have constantly requested to do so, I've told her, you, you know what happened the last time I, I rubbed your big toe. Unlike pregnancy, though, unlike pregnancy, what happens on the day of the Lord will not be life and joy. Uh, but at least for some, death and destruction. That's the thing about Yom Yahweh in the Old Testament. For the most part, it's an ugly day. It's a day on which corrupt human institutions are torn down by the Lord's army. It's a day on which the enemies of God will be judged and there will be no escape. This is what Paul reiterates. They will not escape. The people who have been making Paul's life miserable by persecuting him violently for preaching the gospel, all of those opposed to God's word in the world, they will find no quarter. But you, brothers and sisters, Paul goes on, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So the enemies of God will be surprised at his arrival to the earth and be distressed. But the people of God will not be surprised, should not be surprised. While the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, God's people, we're not in the dark. We know it's coming. We don't know when, but we know it is. As such, we have the opportunity to get prepped. Be prepared. So much of success in life is being prepared, right? Right? as it is in death. So much of success in death is being prepared. I was a Boy Scout. The other scouts here, what's the scout motto? That's it. Be prepared. It's not just for scouts. The last thing you want is to find yourself in a situation that you could have anticipated but did not. I mean, this is why pregnant women pack bags and set them by the door, right? This is why people store food and water in the basement. This is why whenever Michelle and I are traveling anywhere, my suitcase is twice as big as hers. I was a scout. What if I run out of books? Better take more. What if I run out of underwear? Throw them all in. What if I get constipated on vacation? All the Miralax. Put all the Miralax in there. Last thing you want to do is get constipated on vacation. Am I right? Amen. Again, though, not talking about pregnancy, not talking about vacation. We're talking about the day of the Lord. While there will surely be plenty of constipation on that day. And the other problem. <laughs> that will be the least of our challenges. There will be blood and violence and vengeance as humanity's sins are finally punished. Dictators will be destroyed. Racists will be removed. Haters will be hung. Sinners will be scathed. The prophets say this will happen. Jesus says this will happen. The apostle says this will happen. The day of the Lord will come. Given that, what do we do? How should we prep? By guns? Learn self-defense. Stockpile weapons. Well, this is why Paul writes. He tells us. He actually gives us four things to do. 
And that's what I want to share with you this morning. How to be a Christian prepper in four easy steps. How to be prepared for the day of the Lord. First, be alert. As Paul writes in verses four through six, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake. The, the word Paul uses there in Greek can be translated awake, and it certainly makes sense in context of the thief in the night. You want to be awake at night, you know. But Jesus is also saying, Paul is also saying something a little bit more than being just awake. He doesn't want you to be awake in your bed. He wants you to be alert. Be alert by the door. Alert for what? For the return of Jesus. Nothing less. Be alert for the return of Jesus. I remember something my rooftop friend, Sean Sullivan, told us at our men's breakfast a few months ago. Uh, Sean, if you know him, is actually a chaplain in the U.S. Army. He served two tours in Iraq. And he said that the base he served at in Iraq was in a very dangerous part of the country. It was actually right across from the U.S. Embassy, which itself was a frequent target of terrorist attacks. So Sean and his fellow soldiers knew they were surrounded by the enemy. Everyone was on high alert all the time. They knew the consequences of not being prepared for an attack. They knew those consequences of being unprepared could be dire. When the alarm went off, and the alarm did go off to make sure everybody remained on alert, everybody knew what to do. They had the drills. They knew the stakes. The stakes of us not being prepared when the alarm goes off on the day of the Lord will be even more dire. We are even further into enemy territory and our enemies are even more violent. We should be on even higher alert, but we're not, right? We're not. Why not? Uh, part of the problem, I think, is that there have actually been plenty of false alarms. <laughs> I'm sure you know that lots of Christian groups have claimed to know when and how Jesus will return, sometimes down to the day uh, this happened a decade ago when uh, radio preacher Harold Camping uh, calculated that the end of the world would take place on May 21st, uh, 2011, when it, it did not happen, didn't happen, so he recalculated and concluded that it would happen on October 21st, 2011, six months later, I think he forgot to like carry the one, or I don't know how the, the math worked, but, and yet here, here we still are. So in order to not look stupid, Many of us, including myself, actually play it soft on the return of Jesus. I've sort of retreated to the position of, you know, when he comes, he comes, and it's been 2,000 years, so I doubt he's coming anytime soon. Now, I'm not saying we can know. And I'm certainly not saying that this is anything we need to be afraid of. The day of the Lord is not an incoming missile. The day of the Lord is our day of rescue. I'm just saying that we need to be alert. Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't. I mean, I'd rather look stupid waiting for the return of Jesus than look surprised when he gets here. Know what I'm saying? I'd rather look stupid waiting for the return of Christ than be surprised when he gets here. 
Besides which, when you live your life looking for God's arrival, which is how we should, when you, you're living your life looking for God's arrival, you start to see the world differently. You see the world more expectantly. When you're eagerly awaiting God's arrival to earth, you, you start to see how in lots of ways, in lots of ways, he's already here. I mean, Jesus even said this. He said, the kingdom of God is not just coming, but the kingdom of God is among you. Be alert, not to just his coming, but his presence. Second, be sober. Paul goes on, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Now, is Paul telling us to not get drunk or high as we await the arrival of Jesus? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's at least saying that. He's at least saying that. <laughs> I mean, you tell me, do, do, do you want to be drunk or high when Jesus gets here? <laughs> do you want to be toking with friends? Hey, Jesus, welcome. <laughs> Take a drag. Um, no, thank you. He's at least saying that. More generally, though, he's telling us to be people of the day. Since Jesus will come like a thief in the night, let us be people of the day. Drunkenness tends to be a nighttime activity, although it's not limited to such hours. <laughs> drunkenness tends to be a nighttime activity, but, but Paul's talking about other things more than drunkenness. The, the Greek word Paul uses here for sober actually means self-controlled. Let us be self-controlled. So in contrast to people of the world who just live their lives without restraint, don't be like them. Let us be self-controlled with the understanding that Jesus could walk in at any given moment. I mean, that's the point. When Jesus returns, you want to be sober. You want to be in control. You want to be able to celebrate. I mean, there are times when I find myself sinning in all the ways that I do, and it will occur to me, you know, Jesus could enter my life like right now. That would be terrible. That would be, that would be a terrible way to enter the kingdom of God. When Jesus shows up at that moment, like, hey, Matt, you know, you ready? <laughs> I'm sure you have those moments, you know, moments of laziness or anger or greed or drunkenness. I mean, do you, do you want Jesus to return when you are in the middle of a tirade directed towards your children? Now, now again, to be sure, when Jesus arrives, it will be glorious, right? Even, even when he shows up uh, and we are at the bottom of our barrels, what's new, you know, what Jesus has seen it all. Jesus can catch us at our worst, but Jesus will be there for us at our best. But given the choice, and he is giving it to us, along with his Holy Spirit, to strengthen us, given the choice, we want him to find us at our self-controlled best, not our worst. Be sober. Third, be dressed. Paul continues in verse 8. 
Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in this sentence, we actually encounter a couple favorite motifs of Paul's. Uh, he talks about the armor of God here, you know, the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. This is imagery that he uses, uh, he borrows it from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and he uses it elsewhere in the book of Ephesians. And also, he uses his famous triad of faith, hope, and love, put on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And he's talking about faith, hope, and love elsewhere in the, in the book of Corinthians, and he's already alluded to these three in Thessalonians chapter 1. He writes back in chapter 1, we remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. These were the big three for Paul. These were his red, white, and blue. To be a follower of Christ meant to have faith in God's goodness, hope in his deliverance, love for other people, friends and enemies alike. I mean, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to be people of faith, hope, and love. And Bible trivia time, the greatest of these is love. What I want to note, though, is that at least here in Thessalonians, uh, these military clothing items, breastplate, helmet, breastplate of faith and love, helmet of hope, are of a certain kind. They are defensive items, not offensive. Helmets protect your head and breastplate and breastplate your body. These are defensive items. And this is what Paul is trying to convey. We are protected. We are defended against the wrath of God by our faith, hope, and love. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever it looks like when Jesus returns to judge the earth, we will be protected and rescued by our faith, hope, and love. Not by any stockpile of weapons we have in our bunkers. Anybody stockpiling weapons for Armageddon is on a page different than Jesus. Those things will be of no value on the day of Christ's arrival. What will get you ready for the day of the Lord? What will protect you from God's wrath? His righteousness in your life. His faith, his hope, and his love. This is how you get ready. By the way, this is why my family is completely unprepared for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> we are totally not ready for climate change or fungal zombies or the rise of the machines or uh, Chinese weather balloons. Completely unprepared. If there's something going down, do not come to the Herndon house. We will be of no value to you. I know I'm a former Boy Scout, but I figure if something terrible happens, we are, we are all going down. The banks are going down. The stores are going down. Some of us will last, you know, a couple years. Some of us will last a couple hours. The Herndons have a few frozen pizzas, so maybe a couple days or so. But if it's Jesus who returns, not the zombies, the Herndons will be ready. My family's growing in faith. My family's cultivating hope. My family's learning love. We'll be dressed, we'll be ready with our helmets, with our shields. Will you be? Or will you be caught naked in Iraq when the missiles fall? Be alert, be sober, be dressed, and lastly, be together. 
Uh, Paul concludes our passage here. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as you, in fact, are doing. You see, here's the thing. This is really important. We're almost done. Really important, though. Jesus isn't coming to rescue you. And Jesus isn't coming to rescue you. And Jesus is not coming to rescue you, Ben. He's not. I know. It's a bummer. Something far more exciting is happening. Jesus is coming to rescue us. That's what he says. He died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Paul's actually returning to the ideas from last week's passage that some of us may be sleeping in death when Jesus comes back. Some of us may be awake, but we will all meet Jesus together. You see, Jesus is a community guy. He's a family man. He he lives in complete peace and unity with the Father and the Spirit. And upon his arrival, he wants to build a community of people who live and serve one another in love. We're going to need each other in heaven just like we need each other on earth. This is what Paul tells us to do encourage one another build each other up as you are in fact doing get one another ready there's really no other way to wait for the day of the lord except together why it's too easy to give up on your own it's too easy to lose hope on your own we need each other for this long wait however long it is Uh, Maybe you remember a few years ago, for example, uh, the rescue of the junior football team in Thailand from the Tom Luang Cave. Anybody remember this uh, news event? Uh, The story has already been turned into like 10 movies, so take your pick. But the assistant coach of the Wild Boars football team, Ekapal Chantawang, or Coach Ek, Coach Ek took the team to the cave uh, for a team excursion one day, and while they were like exploring the cave, uh, the rain, the rainy uh, season, like started that afternoon, <laughs> and it didn't stop, and the cave started filling up with cave, uh, with water, and uh, the team was trapped inside. Relatives realized that they were missing and alerted authorities. The international rescue effort was just massive. It involved several nations and the brilliant heroism of divers who invented ways to bring the boys out one at a time over three days, making 11-hour dives. Less attention has been paid, however, to how the boys actually survived the ordeal. So for nine days, uh, these kids sat trapped in the dark cave with, with no way out, No knowledge of what was happening on the outside. For nine days, no contact. They didn't even know for certain if anybody was coming. So sitting in that dank, dark cave, the boys were scared, wet, hungry, cold. How how did they survive? Well, Kochek says they uh, actually drank water from stalactites, little drips of water. They uh, huddled together for warmth. A few of them had brought meager snacks, and they shared them with each other. Uh, They they meditated, good Buddhists that they were, they meditated to conserve energy, and they listened to their coach who told them not to give up and told them to tell each other not to give up that somebody was going to be coming to rescue them. Eventually they would be saved. Encourage one another. 
Build each other up. Don't give up hope, the coach said. Our families haven't forgotten us. We're not lost. No matter how many days we've been here, we're not lost. Finally, after 10 days, a British scuba diver surfaced in a pool in the cave. The day of the diver finally arrived. I mean, imagine the moment, right? Just sitting in your dark cave and <laughs> the diver surfaces. And you know what the boys said when the diver surfaced? The boys said, hey, you. <laughs> the diver asked, how many of you are there? And they said, 13. And the diver said, knowing that that was the full total, said, 13. Brilliant. You're all here. Now, back to my question. How tempting might it have been to give up? To, to lie down and give into hypothermia and darkness and, st uh, and starvation? Surely the boys thought about it. If they were alone, they might have, but they wouldn't let each other. If they were going to get rescued, they were going to get rescued together, all 13 of them, and they all were. That's how we're going to get rescued. That's how we're going to get saved, by sticking together, by encouraging one another not to give up, by huddling together for warmth, by sharing our meager snacks, by looking each other in the eyes and telling each other to get ready, get your helmet on, get your breastplate on. Those missiles are coming. They're not meant for us. But you want to be dressed. Don't be a casualty. The day of the diver is on its way. We don't know when, we're not supposed to. God wants to know if we can wait. But Yom Yahweh will happen. Of course, one last point on this, and then I really will be done. Uh, maybe you know that the rescue of the Thai soccer team was not without cost. Uh, Petty Officer Saman Gunan died during the 11 hour underwater swim. He was delivering oxygen tanks to the boys and didn't make it back. And more than a year later, Petty Officer Beirut Pakabara, a, a Thai Navy SEAL, died from a blood infection that he actually contracted during the rescue. There's no rescue without sacrifice. Every one of these boys knows that. We do too. How is it that we will live together with God and with each other? How, how will that happen? Paul tells us, he died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. He died for us so that we can live with him. Yes, we will be protected from the day of the Lord to come, but only because Jesus died in the rescue. We will breathe in the air of the new heavens only because Jesus brought us oxygen. That's what happened on the cross. He submitted himself to Roman execution, offered his sacrifice to God as an atonement for our sins. Jesus suffered on that day so that we would survive the day. Communion reminds us of this. So on the third Sunday of every month here at Rooftop, we take communion together. In our understanding, communion is a symbolic reenactment of who we are as God's people. We're not just as people. We're not just as folks. We're as family. We're as kids, as adopted kids. He's kind of come find us. And we're as adopted kids because of what his one and only son Jesus did on our behalf. When we eat from the bread, we're reminded of his body broken for us when we drink from the cup, the stalactite, 
We're reminded of his blood poured out for us.